Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Friends, let me share just a couple of things with you we get into our teaching time this morning. First of all, yes, I was out the last almost two full weeks uh, ministering in Uganda and uh, mentoring pastors and training leaders at a couple different uh, Christian schools there as well as teaching students and sharing Jesus. And I want to appreciate you and tell you how much I appreciate you and your prayers for me and, and for the other pastors from North Carolina and Tennessee with whom I traveled to Uganda, and I very much appreciate that. But while I was gone... Pastor Keith brought a word last Sunday, and he did a great, great job. I've got tons of good feedback from you, and I just simply want to commend Pastor Keith and all of our pastors. Whenever I'm out, I know for a fact that we have men of God who are bringing the Word of God, and I specifically appreciate Pastor Keith's message last week talking about following Jesus and sharing some very practical things about discipleship groups. At, uh, at Crossgate Church. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is I simply want to reiterate and expand on something that Chris said in the announcements, and that is that two weeks from today, we're having one of my favorite services of the entire year, and that is our outdoor service. We've been doing these since I came as pastor several years ago. This year, we will be in the back parking lot at 10 a.m. It's going to be a great service. The entire church is going to gather as one congregation. God has given us beautiful weather every single year and I'm counting on him to do the same this year. In addition to worship and teaching, of course, it's going to be Baptism Sunday as well. I love, it's just maybe it's my own personal preference, but I love to have outdoor baptisms. That's just, maybe that's just my personal opinion. But all that to say, if you feel like that's your next step, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, I want you to, to contact me. You can come to our next steps area immediately after the service. Talk to one of our other pastors, Pastor uh, Josh or Keith or whomever and say, you know what, I, I believe I need to take that next step. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Jesus Christ and you know that you're saved, but you've never been baptized. You've never followed the Lord and taken that next step. This outdoor service would be an awesome opportunity to do that. Maybe like me, you were baptized as an infant. Uh, I was actually baptized by my Lutheran pastor grandfather, right, when I was eight or nine days old. I'm sure it meant a lot to my family. I don't remember it. I was a little young that time. But the fact is that in the Bible, we see a believer's baptism for those who have made a, a profession of faith in Jesus. So once I got saved when I was 17 and trusted Christ, I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Maybe you were here and you're baptized as an infant, uh, but you came to know Jesus Christ later. Well, now it's important to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. I would love for you to come and talk to me about following the Lord in believer's baptism at the outdoor service. Or perhaps, maybe as a child, uh, you, you, you did take a step toward the Lord. You took a meaningful step, maybe at a vacation Bible school or a service of some kind or children's ministry, and, and you were baptized as a small child, six, seven, eight, nine years old. But over the years, as you lived your life, just, just be honest, you, you realized that there was something missing in your life. And, and you came to know Jesus Christ powerfully and personally later in life, maybe as an older teenager, 20s or 30s or 40s, but you never followed the Lord in believer's baptism after you made that profession of faith. Again, come talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors about what it would look like for you to follow the Lord and make a profession of faith in Jesus publicly at our outdoor service. We would love to assist you and minister to you uh, in those ways. Now, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series today simply entitled, We Believe. 
And we're going to begin talking in the month of October and November about the basics of the Christian faith, what we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. We're going to talk about things like what we believe about the Scripture, and we're going to talk about what we believe about God as, as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is Creator. We're going to talk about how we have been created in the image of God, what that means. We're going to talk about Jesus, both who He is and what He came to accomplish. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about uh, sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus throughout our lives once we've trusted Christ. And we're going to talk about the end times, last things, heaven, hell, what's the destiny of, of human beings, all of those things and more in this teaching series. Why? Because as, as followers of Jesus, what we believe matters. What we believe matters. We, we can't just believe whatever we want to believe and however we pull things out of thin air, but it's what God has called us to believe. You know, people go church shopping whenever they move to a new town or, or, or they've been relocated or what have you, and, and maybe some of you are here today. You, you've come visiting Crossgate Church, checking us out. You're looking for a home church. I'm so glad you're here. And, of course, when people go church shopping and they check prayerfully check churches out, they're looking for things like, okay, is the pastor, is he a decent preacher? Uh, is the worship music decent and engaging? What's the children's facilities like? Uh, is the campus clean? I mean, all of these things matter when you're trying to find a church where you can come and get plugged in and, and worship the Lord. But let me tell you this. For anyone who's looking for a church, one of the most important, if not the most important things you could, you could ask about that church is this. What do they believe? Right? I mean, how often do people say, man, I love the children's ministry. Man, I love the student ministry. We, our kids are having a good time. Yes, but what does the church believe? And I will tell you this, and I'm not overestimating and, and exaggerating when I say this, you and your family would be better off going to church in a run-down, double-wide trailer church out in the woods somewhere, but that's teaching and preaching the Word of God than going to some streamlined, upholstered, air-conditioned megachurch, state-of-the-art facilities, but is either watered down or, or, or jettisoned the truth altogether. Amen? Now, here's the good news. You don't have to choose between the two, okay? You can have your spiritual cake and eat it too. And I'm very grateful that God has blessed us with our facility. And we have a wonderful children and preschool ministry and, and our student ministry. I, I love everything. There's so many good things to talk about at Crossgate Church, but I'll tell you this, every single week, and you know it to be true, every single week we ask the question, what does the Bible say? Why? Because we're not interested in Phil Kramer's opinion. I'm not interested in your opinion either. We want to know what God has to say to us. God Almighty has revealed himself to us, and we want to believe what God has told us to believe. Now, at Crossgate, you might say, well, okay, so okay, what are some of the principles of belief? We're going to get into theology and what we believe at Crossgate. What are some of the principles? Well, first of all, you need to know that our statement of faith at Crossgate Church is known as the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, meaning the year 2000 is when it was, when it was created and written. Uh, this is the statement of faith for the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the denomination with which we partner for global and local missions. Uh, Baptist Faith and Message, you can either Google that, Baptist Faith and Message 2000, it'll take you to the Southern Baptist Convention website, or you can simply go to our website where it's posted there as well. I would encourage you to become familiar, if you're, if you're not already familiar, become familiar with that statement of faith. What I, one of the things I like about it, in addition to the fact that it's biblically accurate, 
is that it is what's called a consensus statement of faith. The Baptist faith and message doesn't split theological hairs on every little possible detail, right? Because we're just all about the, the, the basics of the faith. Those things that have unified Bible-believing Christians for 2,000 years, right? So I would encourage you, familiarize yourself with the Baptist faith and message 2,000. The other principle that I would absolutely emphasize, and I'm going to emphasize this throughout this series, is really a threefold principle. Okay, the threefold principle is this, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity in all things. All right, get those words, unity, liberty, and charity. There are certain theological essentials that we are not throwing up for debate. We're not giving up any ground on them. They are the basics the, the crystal clear teachings of the Word of God. And those are the things around which we have our unity. At the end of the day, we're not ultimately unified by our socioeconomic status because we have all kinds of people at Crossgate Church. We're not, we're not unified around our racial uh, makeup because we have people from different races. We're certainly not unified around our favorite football teams, right? I mean, because we got some Razorbacks, we got some Gators, we even have a few Alabama fans, God help us, at Crossgate Church, okay? Fact is, we, we can't get unified on those things. We are unified in what we believe about Jesus Christ. That's what makes us one at Crossgate Church. But I will tell you that over the years, good, solid, Bible-believing, sincere, Jesus-following people have come down on certain issues within the Christian faith in different ways. And, and, and they haven't seen eye to eye on every little thing. That's okay. There's a lot of room for, for wiggle room at Crossgate Church. That, that's why we say unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials. And one of the things we're going to talk about in this series is the difference between an essential and a theological essential and a non-essential. But here's something else about Crossgate Church and the vibe that I love at this church, charity in all things. Right? You may not agree with me on every little thing, I probably won't agree with you on every little thing, but you know what? We're going to love one another anyway, and, and we don't get angry about it. We, we, we don't start fighting about it. We just realize that we're going to love one another even when we have some differences in the non-essential things of the faith. Now, I know what some of you are thinking already. You're thinking, Pastor Phil, we just finished up probably one of the best series that, that you've done here as pastor, Word Wars. I mean, we had Star Wars on the screen every Sunday. Man, that was the most relevant teaching series I've ever heard. And now we're going to talk about doctrine? Boring. Well, before you just write this thing off now, all right, you're going to find that this series is highly relevant and practical for where you are in your Christian life. And, and a couple things that we're going to do to maximize congregational engagement with this teaching series are, are these things. First of all, you've noticed, and I see many of you have them now, we, we're going we're gonna to try something that we haven't done here at Crossgate, at least since I've been pastor, and that's to give out some, some fill-in-the-blank handouts. Uh, we had those at the entrances to our worship center this morning. We also have a digital version that we have available to you that you can actually fill in the blank on your device and then hit send at the bottom, and it will email you your notes. You can go ahead and Get a little screenshot of that QR code, and it'll take you to the digital uh, option if you don't want to fill out uh, fill-in-the-blank hard copy. So we're going to do that. We're going to have hard copy, fill-in-the-blanks, and digital for you throughout the series. Second thing we're going to do, and this is something I mentioned in the announcements last Sunday, and I did send an email out last week to all of our life group leaders. I'm going to ask our life groups, if at all possible, to hit pause on what you're currently studying 
And then for the course of this series, use the discussion questions that we sent out to life group leaders every week uh, to have a sermon-based discussion. In other words, use your life group time to have a discussion on the messages that we're having here. I know there's, you know, 930 life groups would be a little more difficult to do that and, and so forth. But all that to say, if at all possible, we're asking life groups to go all in on this series for the months of October and November. And then the third way that we want to maximize congregational engagement is uh, Pastor Keith and I are going to devote our More and Better Disciple podcasts for the month of October and November to this series as well. Many of you know we record those on Mondays, and then I think right now they get released on our social media platforms on Thursday. Uh, we've got a lot of great feedback. Pastor Keith and I, of course, he had some guest uh, hosts and so forth uh, during my absence the last two weeks. But all that to say, we're going to devote this because there's no way that I can hit everything in, in this series in the, in the time allowed on Sunday morning. And, and there's always going to be questions and whatabouts and, oh, but yeah, buts kind of thing. And so we're going to be very deliberate in answering those. So, for example, when we record tomorrow, we will be following up on a lot of frequently asked questions regarding today's topic. Okay, now, speaking of today's topic, today we're going to talk all about Revelation. That's really where theology begins, Revelation. And I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, the book at the end of the Bible. I'm talking about the doctrine of Revelation. How has God revealed himself to men and women since the creation of the world? What are some of the ways that God has made himself known, and what can we know about God? Well, what you're going to find this morning is there are two categories of Revelation, two specific ways that God has revealed himself to us over the years. Uh, the first category is called general revelation, and the second category is called special revelation. But we're going to talk about general revelation for just a moment. General revelation, God left a witness. And what we mean by that is that we're taught, general revelation is talking about what we can know about God through creation. What, what does God reveal to us through creation? Look at Psalm 19. This is, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. Okay, The, the heavens, the, 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 the creation, the earth, all of it give witness that God is a created being, that God is a creator, excuse me, and that everything else has been created by God. This, you get the same witness in the, in the mountains in Arkansas that you get on the savannah in Uganda. I mean, everyone across the world is, is, is privy to this, this witness from God, this general revelation. You say, well, what exactly do we learn about God through creation? Okay, well, first of all, we know that God exists, all right? God exists. Uh, and let me give you some scripture from Romans chapter 1. Look at this. God chose his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, implied in creation. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing that God exists. Now, this is oftentimes called the argument from design. You know, you, you see the world and the complexities of the world, and you say there's got to be an intelligent designer and a creator behind everything we see. 
Same thing, it's called the watchmaker's argument. You see the complexities of a watch. If you have a watch, there must be a watchmaker. The complexities of the human eyeball, so unbelievably complex. If, if, there, if there's this complex eyeball, there must be a designer and a creator behind it. Now, sometimes people say that this argument is too subjective because I could take two different people out behind the church and one person could look at these wonderful mountains and, and the hills and the trees and say, man, God is so good. He left himself a witness. This is amazing. God is all, I see God everywhere. But then you could take someone else out back and they could say, I don't see God anywhere. Kind of reminds me of the story of the Russian astronauts, the cosmonauts that went into space in the 1960s, the communist atheists went into space, and they came back to the earth and said, you know, kind of smugly, they said, we looked around in space and we didn't see God anywhere, right? I think it was W.A. Criswell, the famous Baptist pastor from Dallas, who said in, in, his, in his own quirky uh, accent, he said, if they'd opened the door to their capsule, they would have seen God, right? But the fact, here, here's the truth. You take someone out into the wonders of the universe, you take someone out to the beauty of the Ozark Mountains and the Washita Mountains, and I will tell you, if they don't see God, it's because they don't want to see God. And the same reason they don't see God in creation is the same reason that a thief can't find a policeman, because he's not interested in finding him. That's why the Bible says these people suppress the knowledge of God that is so obvious to them. I'm telling you, general revelation tells us that God exists. But not only does it tell us that God exists, look at this. Here's the second thing. It also says that God created the world and gives us good things. God created the world and gives us good things. Let me give you a scripture, Acts chapter 14. Look at this. God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he did not leave himself without a witness. All right, See, he left himself with a witness in creation that he exists. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. All right, God, God created and he gives us good things. James chapter 1, look at this. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. All the good things that God has provided for us, that is evidence of his existence and his goodness to us. And here's one other. The third thing is this. General Revelation tells us that God gives us evidence of his existence so that we would seek him. Okay? God gives us evidence of his existence so that we would seek him. Again, Acts 17, another great sermon from the book of Acts. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. Now, here's something you need to understand about general revelation. You cannot be saved, ultimately having your sins forgiven, on the basis of general revelation alone. Okay, that only comes through Jesus Christ, ultimately. But here's the point of God revealing himself into creation. It wasn't so that people could get saved by looking at the trees and the mountains, but that it would whet their appetite for more of God. Say, God, I want to know more. This, what I see here gives, gives me a sense that you're out there, but I want to know more. That's, that's what it says. God gives us evidence of his creation that we would seek him. Now, that's general revelation. 
What can we know about God through creation? What can we know about God by what we see in the stars and the heavens? They're certainly giving glory to him. Certainly giving glory to him. But now I want to talk to you about special revelation. Special revelation. God wrote a book. Because there's so much more to know about God than what we can learn about him in the creation. And that's called special revelation. And it's summed up in this phrase that I've given to you. And I've given this to you before. God wrote a book. Because at the end of the day, what God wants us to know about himself is found in the Bible. It's found in the Scripture. God has given us this book that we might know him. Not just know more facts about him, but know him in a powerful and personal way. Let me give you some Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at this. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for receiving salvation that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. There's the purpose of the Scripture, that you might come to know Jesus and be saved. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, at the end of the day, the Bible is the ultimate authority on life and everything that really matters and makes life worth living. You say, Pastor Phil, are you telling me that I'm supposed to base my entire life on, a, on an ancient document that was written thousands of years ago before people even knew what electricity was or running water or they, they had no clue about medicine? And you, you want me to base my life on, on some ancient document, some ancient book? That's exactly what I want you to do. I like what John the, uh, the uh, theologian John Frame has said. Look at this. Crass as it may sound to modern religious speculators, it is evident from biblical history that God intends to rule his church through a book. Through a book. Now that generates some questions, doesn't it? And, and the first question is this. If God wrote a book, what's the evidence? I mean, prove it to me, Pastor, that God truly wrote this book. This wasn't just some idea that some man came up with, but that, 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 where's the evidence? If God wrote a book, what's the evidence? Well, I've got a lot of evidence for you, okay? And I'm going to give it to you in three lines. The first of which is this, the external evidence. All right, let's just consider some of the external evidence about the fact that God wrote a book. We're talking about special revelation now, okay? Now, first of all, I want you to think about the number of, of books that have been published to a certain degree over the years. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit, uh, was published uh, 100 million copies. That's a lot of copies. Uh, the Har Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, very, very famous book from 20 years ago, 120 million copies. Uh, Lord of the Rings, again, another Tolkien classic, 150 million copies. The Bible, 5 billion copies. 5 billion copies. What about languages? translated into languages. Uh, the, the Harry Potter series translated into 80 different languages. That, that's a significant scope of translation for any book that's been written. Uh, 80, 80 languages. The Bible, the entire Bible has been translated into 700 languages. Uh, and just the New Testament alone has been translated into upwards of 17 to 1800 languages. That's amazing. Manuscript evidence. You know, back in the day before we had the printing press and all of this, that, I mean, everything that was written was written out by hand. And anything that was going to be mass-produced had to be hand-copied. And because of that, different documents from the ancient world have, have a number of manuscripts 
uh, and copies that have been floating around, all of which were written out by hand. Uh, some of the numbers, you might be interested to know some of the numbers. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, with his history, uh, there's about 30 copies of that manuscript floating around in the world uh, today. Sophocles, in his poems of the tragedies, about 100 manuscripts floating around. Uh, Julius Caesar, History of the Gaelic Wars, about 200 manuscript copies floating around. Uh, Homer's Iliad, you remember from school, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the Iliad, probably about uh, maybe 1,500 copies of that floating around that were hand-copied over the years. Uh, the New Testament, upwards of 6,000 manuscripts. The Old Testament, 42,000 manuscript copies. Now, all of these numbers that I'm throwing at you don't prove anything in terms of whether the Bible was truly written by God or, or just simply a, a product of man's imagination, but I'll tell you, it ought to get your attention. Amen? It, these kind of numbers ought to get your attention to say there's something special about this book. I want to know more. There's something special. That's just the external evidence. Now let's consider the internal evidence. The internal evidence, when you open your Bible and you begin to consider what you actually find in the Bible, it'll blow you away. In terms of God's fingerprints being all over that book, I'm talking about special revelation now, remember. Special revelation, God wrote a book. Okay, speaking of the Bible, how many books are in the Bible? 66, yes. Okay. How many authors, human authors, wrote those different 66 books? About 40, okay, about 40 plus uh, different authors over, what, three continents? And how many years? Took about 1,600 years uh, for all those different books to be written. Now, you see a broad array of diversity there in terms of authors and styles and genre and, and, and dates of, of writing and, and continents and locations where they were written, and yet all of it has one cohesive message one cohesive message, and I've told it to you many times before. The Bible can be summed up in two sentences. The Old Testament says someone is coming. The New Testament says someone has come, and that someone's name is Jesus. By the way, what I just said makes as much sense as Uganda as it does in Arkansas, because I shared the exact same thing with people in, in a third world nation just last week. The cohesiveness of the Bible the focus on Jesus, I will tell you that from my, from my vantage point, that tells me that God wrote a book. Certainly his fingerprints are all over that book. That with all of this broad diversity, nevertheless, there's one unified message. Let me just let me give you an illustration, okay? Let's say you're going to make a phone call. You take your phone out, and you're going to call someone. Well, you've obviously got to punch in some numbers onto your phone, Right? And let's just say, for example, like I was in Uganda last week, and I, and I called Shara on the phone. So I'm calling one person on the other side of the world. I could have called anybody in the whole world with this device, but I was only trying to call one person. So what did I do? I typed in a few numbers, and then I typed in a few more numbers. And what happens is every time you put a number into your phone, the, the number of people to whom your call could be going is going to get more narrow and narrow, right? I mean, even in Arkansas, if you dial 501, that eliminates everyone else in the United States. And then you dial a few more numbers, and that eliminates most people in Garland County. And then a few more numbers, and then you hit the last number, and you hit send. And there's only one person that could pick up on the other side. That, that's how telephone calls work, right? 
Okay, think about that in terms of what the Old Testament says about the coming Messiah. All right, I don't have these on the handout. Just write these verses down. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, God says that he's going to put enmity between the serpent and between the child of the woman. That tells us that the Messiah is going to be a human being, not an animal. That's the first number. Second number, Genesis 9.26. Genesis 9.26, after the flood, God said that he was going to bless the descendants of Shem, one of Noah's children. He's going to bless the descendants of Shem in a special way. All right, that tells me that Messiah is going to be a descendant of Shem, not of one of Noah's other kids. Next, next number. You're just dialing numbers now in your phone, okay? The next number is Genesis 15, 5. Genesis 15, 5, God is speaking to Abram, who would become Abraham, and he said, through the nations, I'm going to bless the nations through your line. That tells us the Messiah is going to be a descendant of Abraham, of the Jewish race. Okay, next is uh, Genesis 49, 10. Genesis 49, 10, God is speaking specifically about Judah and the tribe of Judah that would follow uh, Judah, one of the patriarchs. And he said, the scepter will never depart from the house of Judah. You know what that tells me? It tells me Messiah is going to be a member of the house and the tribe of Judah. That eliminates all the other tribes. Okay, get this one down. Jeremiah 33, 15. Jeremiah 33, 15 says that the throne will never depart from the house of David. All right, so that eliminates everybody else. That Messiah is going to come from the lineage in the house of David. See how we're getting more narrow, more narrow, more narrow, more narrow. Okay, two more numbers. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Now we're getting very narrow because that's one little village in one little place out of the entire world. And then, of course, the last number, you dial all these numbers, the last number is Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. And that basically says that Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. Now, I got news for you, friends. You put all those numbers into your phone and you hit send, there's only one person that can pick that phone up, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? There's only one person that can pick that phone up. The Old Testament says someone is coming. The New Testament says someone is coming. In spite of all of the broad diversity in the Bible, Jesus is at the center of it all. That's an amazing thing to me. And that tells me that God wrote a book. The, the external evidence. The internal evidence. But hey, let's think about the eternal evidence. The eternal evidence. You say, what do you mean by eternal evidence? When I talk about eternal evidence, I'm talking about the power to transform lives that's found only in the Word of God. It tells me that God wrote a book. Isaiah chapter 55. Many of you know this passage. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Whenever God's word goes out, it waters the earth, it, it causes things to, to become green. We're speaking spiritually now. Your life, if, if, if you're in the word of God, if, if the word of God has a place in your life, you're probably growing. You're probably producing fruit. 
But, but you show me someone who is not in the Word, who, who, who's, whose life is not saturated with the Word, and I'll show you a person that looks like a dried-up, brown, shriveled-up plant producing no fruit. That's what the Word of God does. Hebrews chapter 4, look at this. Again, very famous verse. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Someone has well said that you don't read this book. This book reads you. This book reads you. And it has an impact, not just on individual people, but whole nations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I will tell you, one of the reasons why we have experienced success and blessings is because for the largest part of our history as a nation, we were a people of the book. We were a people of the book. By the way, little history story for you. Uh, at the end of World War II, you had all these German rocket scientists, Nazi rocket scientists. They, 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 just technology was just off the chain in, in Germany at that time. And, and the, the Americans wanted to get their hands on all these German rocket scientists before the Russians, the communists, the atheists could get their hands on the German rocket scientists. Why? Because they wanted to use the, the technology in the post-war years, right? We knew that we, it, the next war was going to be against us and the Russians. And if we can get the technology in the German scientists, then we'll, we'll have an upper hand. Trust me, the communists wanted to get them as well. The Russians wanted to get these guys as well. And by the way, even the German scientists had a preference. Did they want to go to the communists, the Russians, or did they want to come to the Americans? Uh, probably the most famous German scientist, who really was not, was not a hardcore Nazi sympathizer, but this is what he, the, the, the most famous German scientist, a guy named, by the name of Werner von Braun, said this, because he, he wanted to go to the Americans. Watch this. We knew that we had created a new means of warfare, and the question of what nation we were willing to entrust this brainchild was a moral decision first and foremost. Watch this. We wanted to see the world spared another conflict such as Germany had just been through, and we felt that only by surrendering such a weapon to people who are guided by the Bible could such an assurance to the world be made. Werner von Braun knew the destructive capabilities of what he had on his hands, and he said, I don't want to give this to the atheists and the communists. I want to give this technology to the Americans. Why? Because they have built their nation on the Word. Makes a difference. Let me just talk about you in a personal, hypothetical situation. Let's say you're driving down the interstate in one of our nation's largest cities, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, any, it could be Little Rock, it doesn't matter really, but you're dri late. It's 10 o'clock at night. You're driving down the interstate, and you begin to have car problems, and, and your vehicle is just knocking and, and banging, and you realize, man, i got to pull off the side of the road. It's 10 o'clock at night, y'all. And you pull off the interstate down into this part of town that is definitely not the best part of town, okay? 10 o'clock at night, you've pulled down into a, a really, really bad part of town. You pop your hood. There's smoke coming out of, your, out of your engine compartment and so forth, and you're leaning over your car, looking down into the, the engine, trying to figure out what's going on, and you hear footsteps. And you look over your shoulder, and out of your peripheral vision, you see four young men, big, of a different ethnic persuasion than yourself. And you're leaning over your car, and you're not, you don't know what's fixing to happen. 
but they're coming towards you. Now let me ask you this question. Would it make any difference whatsoever if you knew they had just left a Bible study? Hmm? I will tell you the Word of God makes a difference. The eternal evidence God wrote a book. If I don't tell you anything else today, church, I want you to know that the Word of God that you have, your copy of the Word of God, is true, it's reliable, you can build your life upon it. But here's the other question, okay? This is the last question that I have. The last question is this. If God wrote a book, who's the audience? If God, I'm, I'm convinced God wrote a book, but to whom did he, did he write it? 1 Thessalonians, look at this. One of my favorite books in the Bible. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. So let's use the illustration of mail. We all get mail in our mailboxes, right? We get all kinds of mail. We get bills. We get... Uh, you know, letters from the insurance company. We get letters from our college alma mater 30 years later. I still don't know, I have no idea how these people track us down, but they do. We, 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 get, we get all kinds of mail. Some of it we open reluctantly. Some of it we don't open at all. We just, just throw it in the trash. And some of it we tear open with eager anticipation of of what's inside that envelope. On what basis? The return address. Right? You can look at a return address of something and pretty much know what's in it. If it comes from the Internal Revenue Service, you're probably not really excited to open it. Uh, there's plenty of junk mail based on, based on the you know, publisher's clearinghouse. Pfft, that's going in the trash. But I will tell you, 23, excuse me, yes, 23 years ago, when I was a seminary student down in New Orleans, if I got a letter that said it was from 2330 Southwest Williston Road in Gainesville, Florida, I tore that thing open. I couldn't wait to read it because that was Shara's address when we were dating. And she would send me letters. And as soon as I saw that, that return address, I mean, yes, she, she went to University of Florida. Go Gators. Hey, listen, the Gators and the Razorbacks both lost yesterday, so we're in good company, y'all, okay? Fast forward a few years, I'm in Iraq, I'm in Afghanistan, and, and it's, it, I, I get a letter, and the return address says 34 Nijmegen Street, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I couldn't wait to tear that letter open and read it. Why? Because that's where Cher and the children lived when I was overseas. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that God wrote a book, and the return address on what was written simply said, heaven, wouldn't you want to tear into that and read it? You know, Crossgate Church, we have a, what, what's called a high view of the Scripture. And, and we're going to talk more about this on the podcast, so you just got to get the podcast and listen to that, okay? Um, but, but a high view of Scripture. We believe that God wrote the book. God can never lie. His, his word is what's called inerrant. I am so grateful that I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in a church, the First Baptist Church of Lake Wales, Florida, in a church with a high view of Scripture. Mom, Dad, 
Grandma, Grandpa, I will tell you, if your children are in this church, they're being taught a high view of Scripture, okay? You, you, can, you can rest assured that, that any member of your family that's under the influence of this church is, is receiving what's called a high view of the Scripture and, and constantly asking this question, what does the Bible say? Because God wrote a book. Praise God, God wrote a book. Let's pray. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.